Welcome to Defining Endurance, a podcast focused on providing actionable insights for endurance athletes. Whether you're an athlete just getting started in endurance sports or a veteran looking to gain an edge, the Defining Endurance podcast is here to ask curious questions with athletes and fitness professionals, and most importantly, dive deep on current training topics so you can become the best version of yourself. Let us wait no longer. Let's dive into this week's episode. All right, welcome back or welcome to another episode of the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons. I'm the head coach here at Lifelong Endurance, as well as Peak Performance Running. And today, we're actually going to start off with a little quote. Uh, This goes back to some great African proverbs. And it said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Today, we're going to talk all about the long run. Um, This is a big topic um, that really kind of boils down to a few things. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, one of the big things I like to talk about when I talk about training is the idea of capacity. I talk about building a bigger bucket uh, and being able to fill that bucket up and pour that bucket out. And that's the idea behind workouts and our runs and things like that, but also making sure that we keep our buckets full as people too. Uh, And we're coming out of a pretty rough time period. Uh, And I always think back to my first couple marathon training cycles. And one of the things that really got me through that first marathon was being able to have a group of people to train with, to rely on, but also to gain information on. So before we get started today, if you guys have a chance, if you haven't yet, please take a moment and go and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. You guys are just like my fellow buddies on those long, tough, long runs. And I rely on you uh, to help us grow and also help share our podcasts. And we are looking to not just go fast with this thing, but we're looking to go far with this thing. If you guys have insights, feedback, topics you'd like to hear about, please go into our Lifelong Endurance Athletes and Coaches page Talk to us. Let us know what you want to hear about. As this community grows, we're able to give more information and better information to you guys through this medium of a podcast. I've been doing these solo episodes because I am trying to tackle some of the questions that I get asked most often. So without further ado, we're going to jump in, but I can't thank you guys enough for the recent support and the recent growth of this podcast. So let's talk about kind of some of the basic rules. I mean, really what defines a long run? Well, it's pretty clear in the name. It's the longest run of your week. But even within that, as your mileage starts to creep up, you may have a midweek long run and a weekend long run. Uh, And the reality is, is that it's usually going to end up being the longest run in your whole week. Um, But it's usually going to be at a slower pace. Um, But the reality is, is that A long run is technically defined as roughly one and a half to two times your normal easy day or the longest easy day in your week. Um, And while that one and a half to two times marker doesn't really work for ultra running, it works for the 10K, it works for the marathon. Um, If you guys are looking for some hard rules here, I would say that the reality is is that if, if you are a competitive athlete, if you are someone that's out there 
trying to push your best, maybe you're an age group racer, you know, by majority, your long run needs to be, you know, eight to 10 miles kind of at a minimum um, to be to be really competitive. You know, for most 1500 meter runners, my high school kids, that eight to 10 is kind of a good place for us to be. But as they move into college and beyond, if they stay competitive in the mile, we're looking at 12 to 15 miles, you know, that could be one to one and a half hours uh, of running where, you know, that, that mark doesn't really move until we get to the 10 K and it's a little bit more acceptable to see 15, even up to 17. Um, and I like to give my half marathoners a number of long runs over that, you know, 13 mile mark, because one, it builds confidence, but it also comes back to capacity. You don't want to go and only have, you know, run one more mile than you are planning to race, especially if you're going and thinking about doing it hard. You need to be able to have, you know, built a bigger bucket than what you plan to pour out because you want to pour it out a little bit faster. And that's what it really takes um, and why a long run is such an important part physiologically. Um, you know, for those that are curious about the marathon, you know, I, I don't like to give my people those longer than marathon uh, efforts, though. I think that once you hit the marathon, you have to remember that, you know, it comes back to how quickly can you fill that bucket back up before your next workout. If you're going to go out and run 20, 22, 23 miles uh, and maybe put some quality in there, what's the reality that in one single day on a Monday or a Sunday, you're going to be able to recover enough to come to Tuesday or your next workout day fully recovered so you can get all of the benefits of that workout. And that's really what we're up against when we think about training for the long run is that the long run needs to be enough to build capacity, but not tear you down so much that you can't recover from it. And so this is always the balance of training and the idea of training load. And so as you go throughout your cycle, uh, as you're building up, you know, you're, you're racing, you really should think, okay, is my long run at the right point? Am I recovered enough or am I carrying fatigue week to week? Was this a particularly hard effort and I shouldn't expect to come to Tuesday rested or is the goal to come to Tuesday rested? That's gonna kind of you know define how your long run is gonna be built out. And as a coach, that's the number one thing I'm looking out for with my athletes is that recovery aspect and where does that fit? So. Let's talk a little bit about the physiology here. What's actually happening during the long run? Well, the reality is, is we've got to talk about our favorite powerhouse of the cell here, mitochondria. Um, this is where we build mitochondrial density. Um, and as I said earlier, it's the powerhouse of the cell. And what we're really doing here is basically buffering our ability to do more, right? We've got an increased amount of capillarity excuse me, capillary density um, that's also happening. The longer we're out there, what we basically get better at doing is processing oxygen. We build more capillaries the longer we run, which allows us to use more oxygen while we're running. We become more oxygen efficient. That is capacity, people. That's the big thing here. Um, we think about increased glycogen storage, the ability of our liver to process that um, and go through the process of also not just using onboard glycogen, 
but also outside fuel sources. So things that we're taking in like gels and other fuel sources like Generation U can or Scratch Labs or any of these other specific products, it doesn't really matter. What happens is that, you know, we take a product and our body basically puts, you know, breaks it down into to glycogen uh, so that we can utilize it and fuel our bodies. Um, and we get better at that when we're out moving for longer. We become more fuel efficient. Um, while we do have muscular breakdown, we get better and require less energy to run as far as we did when we first started. If you guys can think back to the early parts of your you know, first couple training cycles, five miles probably absolutely wiped you out. Whereas five miles now probably doesn't wipe you out in the same way it once did when you first got started. Granted, that's the whole idea of adaptation, but your body's adapted and you don't need to or have a craving for, you know, sugary foods and you're not becoming glycogen depleted or, you know, you never really get glycogen depleted for five miles, but feeling those kind of blood sugar losses as you do now that you're further into a training cycle or have done, you know, multiple um, training cycles. Um, so I think the next big thing here is to think about the idea of fatigue resistance. Uh, if we have capillary density, that's also partially due to fatigue resistance, right? We're able to process oxygen more efficiently. We're not getting as tired while we're out running, which has a direct race transfer. This is where it goes back to, you know, we need to be able to go out for the 15, 16, 17 mile runs as half marathoners. So why don't we do that then for ultras? How do, how do we train for 100 miles then? You know, and what we have to think about here is that fatigue resistance is not looked at in a singular day. Think of fatigue resistance as this idea of cumulative fatigue. The fatigue that you carry from one day to the next. This idea of partial recovery. You can still come into that Tuesday workout. You don't have to come in 100% fresh as a daisy. You just can't come in so tight and so glycogen depleted that getting through the workout just feels like you're you know, just clawing through mud. You need to carry enough fatigue um, that you're gonna get an adaptation on the weekend and then be able to come back by Tuesday and still push your high aerobic system. And that usually comes back to muscle soreness um, and any right this idea of cumulative fatigue so think of going out and running you know 20 to 22 miles on a Saturday and coming back the next day and getting in six to eight miles that's cumulative fatigue and that's actually how we really look at training for ultras is you might go out for a 20 to 22 mile run and then the next day you're gonna do 8 10 12 or more depending on what event you're training for and those two days combined are really where that cumulative fatigue, it'll never feel like 34 miles, you know, 22 and 12. It'll never feel like that all at the same time. But the reality is you're learning how to run on those tired legs, which you are going to experience on race day. You're going to learn how to fuel your body because you're tired from the prior day. That second day of long run is really about learning how to manage the second half of your race. 
which is why it's important to not just look at a single week of training as defined silos. Okay, this is my Friday workout and I have a long run Saturday. As a coach, your job and you know my job really is to look at what's happening throughout the weekend. Does do I have to cue my athlete to say, hey, you're going to come into this workout tired, um, and the whole goal is to try and hold pace on tired legs, or I may give you a really light workout on a Friday, so that comes Saturday you're feeling a little fresher. You're able to go hit paces, and that's a mental confidence booster. And again, this all depends on where we are in the cycle. If we're getting close to the race day, yeah, we probably need that confidence boost. But if we're a little bit further out, being able to run on tired legs, that's a really good way that to finish a you know, hard, tough run. That's such a powerful thing to be able to work through mentally, physically, and emotionally. But it's probably not a great thing to do because there's a high chance of failure just a handful of weeks out from race day. We're as coaches, we mental we we manage this mental, emotional, and physiological being, which is a human, and we have to remember that. Unfortunately, we kind of look at things sometimes as wins and losses, and so being able to have a really successful long run, I can remember my first training cycle getting through twenty miles. Period. Didn't matter what pace it was at, was the huge accomplishment of my week didn't care about the rest of the workouts because I made it through that, you know, and I learned how to fuel, I learned how to hydrate. Those were the most important things. I really break down long runs into three distinct areas. The first is the general long run. This is, you know, early on in the cycle, we are building that base. It's fine for these things, you know, to be conversational. And I really think and try to describe to people that your long run is conversational, which truly means if grandma calls and you pick up the phone while you're out for a run, you've got to be able to hold a conversation with her while you're out for a run. If your breathing rate is too hard and too high, if your words are choppy, one, grandma's not going to hear you. So you have to be able to run slow enough, efficiently enough to be able to, you know, actually have a conversation, which is why, again, having a group makes it so, so much easier to get done um, because the miles just fly by when you're having a conversation. Um, but that's the building block number one. Number two goes into pace-based long runs. Um, and this is where you start to integrate a little bit of quality at the end. Maybe it's a progression, 16 miles with the last four miles, at marathon pace and this is a way to start to build that ability to manage fatigue you have 12 miles in your leg now you got to hit pace um, and, and that really is where we, we start to edge into that mental confidence and also test our physiological abilities have we built a machine that can do that yet and sometimes we get the feedback that no or i didn't fuel well enough and we we get we get feedback that starts to give us some really good information. And this is where the coach-athlete relationship starts to become more than just someone programming workouts. This is where strategies are built. This is where figuring out what does breakfast need to look like? What are the meals the days before or the day before really look like that line you up for success? Because I'll let you guys in on a little secret. 
what you eat the day before has a massive impact on how you perform the next day. And you have numerous, numerous opportunities, 12 to 20 opportunities to figure out what you can eat the day before the long run. That's probably going to line you up pretty well to figure out what you need to eat the day before your race day. And when do you need to eat it? All of these things start to kind of line up to give you success on race day if you choose to see them as opportunities. And this is really kind of that second building block of you know, building that capacity to manage that pace for longer and longer in a fatigued state. So how do we then move to a third building block? Well, my third building block is something I like to call specific endurance runs. And I really look at these from you know, numerous perspectives, but my first two are hydration, nutrition, and then my third one is pace, and my last one is sweat rate. So follow me here. I want to figure out during these specific endurance runs to give you an idea of what one might be. We may do three miles of warm up and then do three by 5K, four by 5K at marathon pace or faster with one mile of moderate running in between. So 5K, a mile that's maybe a minute off your marathon pace. So if your marathon pace is 630 per mile, that one mile in between is at 730 per mile. So we're never really fully letting off the gas, but we're definitely on the gas for nine to 12 miles in these kind of runs. And I want to make sure that our hydration plan that we have set up. So if that's to take a cup every aid station or every other aid station, um, let's make sure that you actually finish, you know, hydrated. Do you feel like you had enough, right? Um, what's your nutrition plan, right? If we're three miles into this, uh, and then we start having to work, you know, do you take a gel beforehand? Do you take a gel after the first 5K and every 5K thereafter? Um, you know, how does that make your gut feel? You know, do, did you fail this run? Could you not hit the pace because your stomach got inside out? Well, you might have been too aggressive with that fueling plan. Um or, you know, think about it from the perspective of fitness, right? This is where we've, we're too fatigued coming into this workout and we're unable to sustain our pace despite a good hydration and nutrition plan. Well, that goes back to figuring out, did we get enough sleep? If the week was designed to have this workout in it, where did we need to cut back? And that will tell us about our taper. Right, so we start to see that there's so many things that both the coach and the athlete can learn from doing a workout like this. Now, I mentioned two other things, um, and that was pacing, uh, which I think we covered in really looking at the idea of maybe starting right at our marathon pace and then working down each subsequent 5K. Now, granted, we can do these in 5Ks, we can do four miles, we can do two by six miles. The whole idea is, is that you're doing more and more of your long run at your desired and goal pace. I rarely, rarely, rarely give athletes go out and run 20 miles at your goal pace. It's just too much fatigue. And I work with a lot of athletes up here at altitude, and we're not able to sustain our marathon pace, our half marathon pace that we might see at sea level where we're going to go race. We can't sustain those paces here 
at reasonable blood lactate levels. We can't, you know, sustain them from an energy management level. Um, so we have to break these things down. I've done 10, 12, up to 15 miles uh, at a goal pace for some C-level athletes. And those have been fine. Those have been very successful, but we get a lot of information. The last piece I like to look at is our sweat rate. Um, and our sweat rate can also, of course, inform our hydration plan. And the simplest way to do this is to weigh yourself at the start of your run right before you go out the door. Make note, you know, if you, you know, stop to pee during your run, make sure you know how much you drank, right? So take a 20 ounce water bottle with you for your long run. Know how much you took in in terms of food. So if that means it's three gels, figure out how much those gels weigh. If it's real food, weigh your real food. And then the big thing you're going to do is that as soon as you get home, before you rehydrate or take it out of the calculation, you weigh yourself and determine how much you lost per hour. So if you started off your run at 153 pounds, and I'm just going to keep this super easy, and you drank or consumed 16 ounces of water, and you finished a three-hour run, okay? and you finish at 149 pounds, hot day. You've lost four pounds total, so four pounds in three hours, but you drank another ounce, you know, another 16 ounces, which is one pound. So the reality is, is that you had a net in there, which really comes out to four. So four in three hours, gotta carry the math here. Uh, I'll let you guys figure that out. My math brain ain't working. You're using, losing about a pound and one third uh, per hour, which would come out to roughly 20 ounces per hour. That would be pretty darn high, but when it's really hot out and you have humidity and things like that, um, that that's where we want to figure out how do we manage that because you're not going to be able to replace everything that you're losing. Um, and this is where sweat becomes a whole nother conversation. We're going to have an expert on here soon to talk all about this. But the reality is, is that um, we are trying to avoid severe dehydration, but not avoid the idea of dehydration completely. You don't want to have to stop and pee during your race. Um, so some de dehydration is actually you know, necessary and somewhat ideal. Um, but during much longer races like ultras and things like that, we really have to be conscious of what we're losing in our sweat. So the other thing to make note of here is, do you salt up your shirt? Or do you have a ton of salt um, after your long run? If you do, you may need to supplement you know, some sort of electrolytes. There's salt stick, there's Endurolytes, there's so many different op options out there. Um, these are things to really consider. Your long run is basically one big wild experiment that requires you to actually do some post-run analysis of how much you ate, how much you drank, how much weight you lost. You know, did you, you know, do you feel crampy? Do you feel awful afterwards? Did your stomach turn inside out? That'll inform your electrolyte needs. Um, so this is, you know, those three pillars of, of long runs from the very general aerobic long run to, you know, moving to that transition to have more of it at pace to doing, you know, really long blocks of your goal pace. The final thing that comes back to here is how often do you do them? 
I don't want to give you guys the impression that in the later marathon cycles for someone's training that all they're doing is long, hard runs at, you know, at, at sections of marathon pace. It's just exhausting. The reality is, is that I probably do them every third week, maybe every two weeks for, you know, a high performance athlete. And they're balanced with these, you know, aerobic, easy long runs where we're just going out to get the mileage. Um, that's, that's about the balance. That's about periodizing your training so that it's not always all hard or all easy, that there's a balance found within there. So that's really the, the big key pieces around programming it and how it should be viewed. Um, I think the last piece of this here, if there was a, a fifth category besides how to program, is that back-to-back -back piece. Um, and I think they, they, they all kind of come together that by majority on your second day of that long run, that if you've done a specific endurance day on a Saturday, say you're getting ready for a fast 50K or 50 mile, that second day rarely, if ever, should have um, any quality in it. And the rare times that I see quality are for really high performance marathoners. You know, we might have a long, hard day on Saturday, and then Saturday afternoon, we might go do, um, you know, two or three miles of warm up and then a light workout, you know, eight by 200, and then, you know, two miles of cool down. And the reality is, is that we're just trying to bring the system back into sharpness. One of the things that, that can happen is that long runs can kind of make you feel dull. You know, lots of long, slow running kind of, you know, really builds up those slow twitch, you know, fibers, and it can be hard to kind of get those legs moving again. So really understanding, you know, the system and the athlete that you're working with and what they're adapting to, that's what takes people from good to great. Um, but by majority, those long runs, and especially those back-to-back -back days, you're going to see you know, 18 to 20 miles for the peak on a 50K plan on a Saturday and 8 to 10 miles on a Sunday. And some of you may never see those types of long runs and still finish 50Ks, and that's okay. But those are the general kind of guidelines when we think about programming. We talked a little bit about fueling, but there's really, again, three blocks here for me as a coach. I like to think of real food, uh, especially when we talk ultras, real food first. Um, it's super important to be able to eat real food, which also means that your pace needs to be super aerobic. I'll touch on this one more time. Your pace needs to be slow enough because if your pace is not slow enough, uh, you're going to stop you know, moving blood into your gut. When we go above our aerobic threshold, we start to move blood out to our legs, lungs, heart, and brain, and we move it away from our gut, which means processing proteins and fats becomes really uncomfortable or we're forced to slow down to do so. So learning about which fuels you can have for the demands of your race are super important on long runs. Um, so you know, knowing re real foods like I'll give you guys my favorite long run fuel for long days out on the trail. Um, they're called banana coins. Um, you can find them also as whole dried bananas. Um, I love bananas, but I hate trying to carry bananas because they always end up getting bruised. 
and they're gross and they're mushy and they get mushed in your pack. So I just buy them dried. Um, they're small, they're chewy, they can fit into anything. They're fine if they're warm, they're fine if they're cold. Um, you know, I've struggled in the past to find, you know, good fuel sources that I can use in the winter. You know, gels get so hard and taffy-like, um, you know, that you stop desiring to want to eat them. I like these banana coins and I recommend bananas kind of chopped up into slices um, that are that are dried like this because you can eat one or two at a time and keep moving. You can put a baggie of them in one of your water bottle pockets. I like food that's easy to eat and slowly trickle it into your body versus taking a large bolus, which you know reality really means a large amount of food in all at once. Eating 300 calories at once is a huge demand on your stomach and intestinal systems that yes, for longer ultras, you need to be able to eat a lot of food at once. Um, but for a marathon, you know, 100 to 150 calories, you know, every 45 to 60 minutes is really ideal. Um, you know, one of the greatest tips that's ever been getting to, given to me about long runs um, is the idea that if you're listening to music, unless you're a big Grateful Dead fan like me, uh, you're going to get dehydrated with this method. But um, you know, every three minutes or every roughly song, you take a sip of water. It's one of the best tips I've ever been given because, you know, oh, song ended, time to drink. You know, you just have a sip. It keeps it really, really simple. Um, and you alternate, you know, alternate between something that's got electrolytes and something that's just plain water. Um, so, you know, the real food side of that, you can also look at dates. You can look at rice balls. Um, I know Coach Lexi loves sweet potatoes. Um, and don't be afraid to, you know, put a little seasoning, maybe a little bit of cheese, you know, not a ton, but just a little sprinkle of it for a little bit of flavor um, because boring foods mean boring long runs. Um, potato pancakes, um, just regular pancakes uh, that you can soak in syrup and things like that to give you a little bit of a sugar boost as well. Uh, but by majority, high-carbohydrate fuels um, are pretty ideal. Again, I'm going to avoid the topic of ketogenics and fuels there. Um, but, you know, packets of peanut butter, um, you know, things like that that are a little bit higher in fat can be really, really good um, and can fuel you for longer than just a singular, you know, goo or other gel um, that might only give you a quick burst. Um, you know, do try out numerous different kinds of gels. Um, you know, look at them from a different standpoint. They all have different types of sugar, um, and sugar is processed differently person to person. Uh, I personally uh, like maltodextrin uh, versus, you know, brown rice syrup. Um, you know, those are things that I've found over the years work really well for my body. Um, you know, when I take a, a regular goo brand gel, this is no knock on them. This is how I personally feel. It's like rocket fuel for me, um, and I don't get a nice long-lasting effect of you know a higher level of energy. Um, you know, there's a number of gels that I like um, across the board, but you know, I know that if I've got a honey stinger, a Huma gel, um, you know, any of these products, that those those are the ones that work best for me. Um, and shout out to any of them that wanna wanna sponsor us. I'll take a I'll take a honey stinger sponsorship. Um, 
so we talked about real food. We've talked about gels. You know, you can have it in a, a chew form, a waffle. Um, you know, I've seen maple syrup, um, you know, all of these things. It's a sugar delivery system. Um, we're basically just overcomplicated hummingbirds in some ways when it comes to long runs. Um, and when we have to take these things in, they turn into glycogen. I like things um, and do recommend that you actually do listen to the packet and take water with it. That's super important because it helps you solubilize the sugar in your upper intestine so that it gets out to where it needs to get to in your body that much quicker. Um, the last thing here is really looking at it from the type of long run. I am going to fuel differently if I'm going to go out for four hours uh, in the mountains or if I'm going to go out and do two and a half hours at my goal marathon pace. Reason being, I'm going to require different demands for a longer time out. So I'm probably going to have a little bit more fat and some things that are going to be quote unquote sticking to my ribs a little bit more especially early on during those longer days out in the mountains. Now, if I'm going to go out and run pretty hard, I want small amounts that are very potent. Um, I also enjoy caffeinated gels um, during my specific endurance runs. They kind of help key me up a little bit more. Um, you know, I like to take in liquid calories. Uh, my specific endurance runs and any marathon that I can do um, where I can, you know, get GenuCan, um, those are ideal. I carried through uh, 18 miles uh, a concentrated bottle of uh, GenuCan during the Denver Colfax Marathon when I finished second um, here at Altitude. Um, and that was super helpful for me because it really helped keep my energy balanced, but the weather was perfect. I hate when I have a water bottle of any mixed drink and it gets warm. Once it gets warm for me, I just, it's putrid. Uh, just from a personal standpoint, some people can handle, you know, um, you know, hammer, uh, when it's 95 degrees out. I remember in my Ironman, I could put away, um, you know, hammer products, no problem. Uh, but now I think of melon hammer heat and it, it makes me just, ugh, even thinking about it right now, just kind of upsets my stomach a little bit. And some of that is just from, you know, having so much of it during training, but it's important. It's important to train with what you plan on using on race day. So this is where people can get really stuck. They will train with a product like a drink mix. Um, and on race day, it becomes really confusing. How do I carry enough for four hours when I can't get a hand up from somebody on the side of the, the race? I can't take outside support. I'm not a you know a professional where I've got a water bottle table to help me. Um, the reality is is that for most of those people, I tell them carry your baggies with your fuel inside them, and you're going to have to come to an aid station and take 30 seconds to fill up your water bottle. But it's not that hard. And the reality is, and I'll give you guys a tip on hydration for racing right here. It is far far better to have to walk through an aid station. And this means even in a marathon where you are trying to PR, even my 230 marathon people, take five steps and get that whole cup of water down without aspirating it and choking on it, and then get back to pace. Because the reality is, if you choose to skip it, if you choose to not fill up that water bottle all the way, and you over concentrate your drink or whatever it is, 
the time that you're going to lose from either getting dehydrated or having stomach issues because you've concentrated it too much far outweigh the time that you might lose in that aid station. The five to 10 seconds of opening your bottle, getting another bottle from a volunteer or multiple cups of water into that bottle so that you get it right, always worth it. Um, yeah, so I, I think the, the best way to kind of close out this whole idea of long runs, because it can really, really get complicated, is that the intention always, always, always is capacity. And as complicated as this conversation may have gotten about fueling and hydration and sweat rates, what it always comes back to is that you need to get out for one day every seven to 10 days where you do something that's one and a half to two times as long as you've done in the last seven to 10 days. You need that long, slow stimulus or long, steady stimulus, however you want to look at it, in a way that's going to help you right, be able to manage intake of fuel, hydrate yourself, build capillaries, process glycogen, empty those glycogen stores and rebuild them back up the next following two days. These are all important parts of the training process that we must go through. The long run is essential. It does not have to be as complicated as I've said it is. You don't even have to do long runs where you put pace in or make them complicated specific endurance runs. Most marathoners and most successful marathoners will be just fine going out and getting in all of their long run miles easy. Don't let this conversation on long runs confuse you. This is supposed to be a meditative time where you can go out and just enjoy an extended period of time where you're moving your body in motion in a way that you love and you enjoy. And that's as complicated as long runs really need to be. So with all of that said, I'm sure this spurred up some questions um, or some thoughts. Uh, so please feel free to email me or post on our Lifelong Endurance Athletes and Coaches page with anything that you guys found in this. Did you find something controversial? Did you find something that changed how you looked at your long runs or looked at how you're training and it may have changed your mind? Let me know. I hope this conversation was helpful. I look forward to doing many more of these little solo casts, these thought idea projections, and sometimes word vomit. So I hope this was helpful and enjoyable, and I look forward to hearing from you guys here soon.